Good morning. How's everybody doing? We're good? Uh, it's good to be together uh, this morning. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online out at MoCo and Loudon, Prince William, Arlington. Uh, it's good to be gathered together uh, under God's Word. Uh, before we dive into uh, our text this morning, I was thinking about this and saw this picture. There's a hotel in North Korea. It's called the Ruyong Hotel. And it's in Pyongyang, which is the capital city there in North Korea. And it's actually the tallest structure in the country. I think we got a picture up here of it. It's just a phenomenal, uh, beautiful uh, building. And uh, that's 1,080 feet tall. That's a tall building. And I want to help you grasp just how tall that is just by comparison. I'll pull this up. It's taller than the Eiffel Tower, much taller than the Statue of Liberty. This is an extremely tall building. It's in 105 stories, and they built it with an eight-story uh, revolving cone at the top uh, that's, that ha- that's going to house like five restaurants. This is date night on another level, like five revolving, I don't know why you need to revolve while you eat, but it sounds amazing. Five revolving restaurants at 105 stories, 1,080 feet up in the air. It cost about $750 million to build um, this hotel. The problem is it's one of the world's largest unfinished construction projects. It's actually the tallest unoccupied building in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And I want to give you a little bit of context for why that is. They started building it in 1987, but then in 1992, construction came to a halt because of an economic crisis. And so for 16 years, it was just a hollow concrete building with no windows, So it didn't look nothing like what you just saw in those pictures. And since then, since uh, that point, they've added the glass panels that you saw. They've been able to finish uh, the outside of the building, but the inside of the building isn't finished yet. And so it's literally just uh, been reduced to a shell of what it was actually created and intended to be. Like one of the most impressive structures in the world and yet they've never hosted a single guest. So much promise, and yet never been able to fulfill its purpose. The reason I thought about that picture is because I wonder, have any of us felt that way before about our own lives? Any of us felt like so much promise, so much potential, but not able to totally fulfill the purpose that we thought we would be fulfilling, especially by now? I know I felt that way before where I've been in a season or situation in my life where I'm like, things started out well. Things started out good in my marriage. Things started out great in my relationship with God. Things started out well in my career or in my spiritual growth. Things started out a certain way, but I'm not exactly sure what happened. And we get to a point sometimes where we wonder, God, what happened? What happened? How did I end up in the place where I am? God, where are you? What, what about all the things that you promised, all the ways that I saw you working, all the stuff that I thought you were going to do in me or through me or for me? Like we felt that way before. And I'm going to share a little bit more about how that showed up in my own life. But before I even get to that, like, like this is what happens in church. Now, if you're new to church, maybe you're new to Christianity, you knew the Bible, let me just put you on game for a second and tell you what kind of happens often in church. This isn't just that church. But what tends to happen at church is that a lot of us show up and we project the kind of person that we think we should be rather than being honest about the person we actually are. Like, this is what happens so often in church. And it happens, like I say, other places. It happens at work. It happens in your neighborhood. It happens when you show up at Thanksgiving with your family. So often we project this external image. And just like the Ryong Hotel, Like we show up and externally things look like they're going great. Our marriage looks like it's great. Our spiritual life, because we know the things to say. We've been in church long enough to know the things to say and the things to do. Our career looks like it's going well. Physically, we may even look like we're doing well. And here's the problem. We actually know what's going on inside. Like we know that even though we're impressive externally, we can be fooling everybody and be actually empty internally. 
We can be impressive externally and still enslaved to sin internally. Like some of us, maybe even in our marriage, that your husband or your wife, they don't even know the secret sin that you're wrestling with. Or you show up to your group and you haven't been honest about that yet because you think you have to project this image of somebody you're supposed to be rather than being honest about who you are. We know what it's like, right, to be impressive externally and yet internally. You can have some terrible stuff going on. You can be depressed. You can be tortured by doubt and anxiety. You can be drowning in grief. And yet people around you don't even know, or maybe they only know the little bit that you decided to tell them or show them, but they don't know the depth of what's going on internally in your life and in your heart. And here's the problem, that gets exhausting over time. It gets exhausting to live in that gap between who you appear to be and who you actually are. It gets exhausting to try to prop up this image to live up to everybody's expectations or, or because you're insecure or ashamed or whatever about what's really happening in your life. It gets exhausting to try to keep up the PR spin. That gets exhausting. And it gets more than exhausting. It can be profoundly discouraging, especially when you begin then to compare yourself to other people's lives. You compare what's going on inside of you to what they're projecting externally. You compare the person you really are in the midst of your struggles to who they appear to be externally. And that can become profoundly discouraging. And like I said, at some point we wonder, God, what happened? And that's why we're doing this series, Now I See It. Because there are some seasons and situations in life where it's very difficult for us to see how God might be working. And it's often only in hindsight that we're able to say, God, now I see it. God, now I see the way that you were working in my life in that situation or that season. And listen, the point of this message today is very simple. I just want to encourage you with this truth. You are a work in progress. That's good news for some of us. You are a work in progress progress, and not just you individually, but we together, McLean Bible Church, as a church family, we are a work in progress. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, we'll have the verse up on the screen. We're going to camp out in that one verse. And Paul is writing this letter from prison And he's writing to the members of a church that he started in a Greek city called Philippi. And I want to read from verse 3 so we can catch the context of what Paul is saying. But when we get to verse 6, I want us all to read verse 6 together. Is that all right? You're not inspiring me with confidence. Here, (laughs) Prince William, loud everywhere. Is that all right? All right. When I get to verse 6, don't leave me hanging. We're going to read verse 6 together. Let me read from verse 3. Apostle Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Here's why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, let's read this together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And before we dive into that verse, I want to give you a moment here, wherever you're watching from, why don't you just take a moment between you and God and just ask God to speak to you personally through his word. Take a moment between you and God. Father, we want to pause because we know God Those of us who believe your word, those of us who trust that this is the word of God, we know that what we're doing, what we're about to do is a supernatural event. We are going to hear from you, the living God, and you, God, not only work in creation, but you work in our hearts through your word. And so, Lord, would you not only speak, but would you work? Would you change us, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit? 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we see in verse 6 is past tense, present tense, and future tense. God's work in the past, that's his initial work of salvation. This is when you are called out of darkness into the marvelous light. God's work in the present, that's called sanctification. This is the process of God working to make you more like Jesus from the inside out. That's called sanctification. And then God's work in the future is called glorification. This is when God finishes that work and we will finally be like Jesus. God's work in the past, his work in the present, his work in the future. And so let's dive into verse 6. And if you got your Bibles or whatever, I want you to circle this word that I'm going to highlight here. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who, and this is the key word, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says that God began a good work in these Philippian believers. And the question is, what is this good work that God started? What's this good work that Paul is talking about? Well, Paul is talking about a good work at two levels. One, God began a good work in them corporately. So God brought them together into this church family in Philippi. And not only did they form deep relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, but as we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, they also formed a devoted partnership. They pooled their resources together to serve the poor and to spread the gospel and to support Paul's missionary ministry. And so God began a good work in them corporately, but that all started with the good work that God began in them individually, that good work of salvation. Like this is the good work of God where he reveals himself to us. He reveals who he is and he confirms that reality in our hearts. I'm not just talking about being aware of the man upstairs or of some higher power. I'm talking about when God reveals who he is to you and he confirms who he is as reality in your heart in an undeniable way. This is the work where God then awakens our hearts to how good and holy he is. And he actually begins to give us a desire to know him. And then he opens our eyes so that we can truly see who Jesus in particular is and that we can truly begin to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. You may have gone to church growing up like me. You may know about Jesus. You may even be familiar with the claims of Jesus, but I'm not talking about an intellectual knowledge. I'm talking about when God actually opens your eyes supernaturally and you actually see Jesus for who he truly is and your heart is strangely warmed and compelled to follow him and you put your trust in what he's done for you in your place on the cross and in his resurrection. This is the work of God beginning to convict us of sin and draw our hearts to repentance where you used to live a certain kind of way and there was no issue with it. How you used to live would bring you joy and then all of a sudden, this may be happening to you right now, this may be happening in your season of life where the things that used to bring you joy, now those things have lost their joy. Your conscience now begins to be stirred. The things that you used to do and find appropriate or find joyful, now you start to question the way that you've lived. And this can be the work of God, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, actually drawing our hearts to repentance. And then this is the work of God forgiving our sin. Like by His grace, seeing us in our sin and forgiving us, and by His Spirit setting us free from the spiritual bondage that holds us back from obeying Him. This is God's work in our hearts, and he seals that work in heaven. This is the doctrine of justification. And it's what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if any person, any person is in Christ, he or she is now a what? A new creation. And then he says this, the old has gone, the new has come. In other words, everything has changed. 
you now, by the grace of God, have a new and secure and eternal position before God as a beloved son or daughter. Not because you did anything to earn it, because you can't, but because God himself has made it possible for you through Jesus. And this is good news, y'all, because what all of this means, that initial work of salvation, it means God doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up before this work starts. No, God pursues us by his grace. And he works in a way that draws us to himself. He is the one who begins the work of salvation. And this is what happened in the lives of these Philippian believers. And so if you're new to the Bible, let me, let me show you how this work began. So you remember, you don't have to turn there, but you remember, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16. And I actually want to rewind before God saves anybody in Philippi. I want you to see the flow of how God is working leading up to that. And I want to do that by showing you this map. This is a map of one of Paul's missionary journeys. And so Paul wants to spread the gospel where people don't know about Jesus yet. And he has this passion to spread the gospel in Asia. But it says in Acts chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him preach in Asia. Paul is like, no problem. Plan A doesn't work, but plan B, they need the gospel in Bithynia too. So Paul tries to go up into Bithynia. And it says the Holy Spirit wouldn't even allow him, wouldn't even permit him to get into Bithynia. And so Paul is like, what in the world? I'm just trying to do what you called me to do. I'm just trying to spread the gospel. I can't get into Asia. I can't get into Bithynia. So him and his ministry team make their way to this little coastal town called Troas. You see that at the red dot there. And he's in Troas. And God gives him this vision. It's called the Macedonian call where there's this man in the region of Macedonia across the Aegean Sea who's saying, come help us in Macedonia. In other words, this is God saying there are some people in Macedonia that need the gospel and I'm actually directing you there. And so Paul travels over the Aegean Sea and you see that red circle. That's the region of Macedonia. And one of the cities in Macedonia is what? It's Philippi. So Paul kind of makes his way into Philippi, and he ends up sparking a conversation about Jesus, sparking up a conversation about Jesus with a group of women who were hanging out down by the river. And here's what happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. It says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So she's a convert to Judaism. She has not yet trusted in Jesus as Messiah, And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She ends up putting her trust in Jesus in verse 15. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so Paul sets up his headquarters for ministry in Lydia and her family's house there in Philippi. And as you continue to read in chapter 16, you see how God saves a hopeless teenage girl who was being exploited for financial gain. You see how God saves a military guard who was working for the Roman Empire. And this is the beginning of the Philippian church, a businesswoman, a teenage girl, and a government official. God began a good work in them. But here's what I want you to see. And this is why I started all the way back in Acts chapter 16. Because if you notice, God had already been at work leading up to this point. In the background of Lydia's life, for example, before she ever met the Apostle Paul, you remember from the map, Paul was frustrated. Paul is in Asia and in Bithynia. And God has Lydia on his mind. Paul is in Troas trying to figure out how God is leading him. And God has this teenage girl and this Philippian jailer in mind because he wants to save them. And so God had already been at work through Paul because he wanted to save these people in Philippi. And here's the first thing, the first point from this message. This is what I want you to reflect on. God was working in your life even before you were aware of it. God was working in your life even before you are aware of it. I want you to think about the chain of events. You think about the series of conversations and experiences that God used to eventually open your heart to the gospel. I think about my own story. 
coming to the University of Maryland and, and, and my parents had already sown seeds of the gospel in my heart and I get to the University of Maryland, I'm not following Jesus at all. I found joy in everything but following Jesus. But God had already gone before me and prepared a group of upperclassmen guys who were cool guys who were following Jesus. And here's what stood out to me. What stood out to me was that they actually lived out the joy of the Lord. These were not, they weren't sitting around like they weren't weird dudes. Like they were just regular old cool dudes. But here's the thing. They weren't just sitting around on Friday nights lamenting and like, oh man, I wish I could be out with everybody else. No, they were actually, they felt like life with Jesus was better than life in the world. They actually lived in the joy of the Lord. And that's what God used to draw my heart because I'd never seen peers like college students my age who were actually like life with Jesus is truly abundant. It's better than being out in the streets every weekend. It's better than giving yourself to sexual immorality. It's better than just giving yourself to, to, to get glory for yourself in every way that you can. And God used that to draw me to faith in Jesus. And I started teaching Bible study. Started getting involved in ministry. My wife comes to the University of Maryland a year later. She's not following Jesus at all. She gets connected to some mutual friends. She doesn't know that God has already been working to draw me to Christ to help be a part of this Bible study that she's going to end up getting connected to. And she starts following Jesus and then the rest is history. God had been at work in our lives before we were even aware of it. And this is true for you. Maybe it was just the slow, faithful seeds of generations of Christians that came before you and your family. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family. Maybe it was just a sermon that the, the Lord used to really pierce your heart. Maybe it was a season of suffering where God finally brought you a to a place where you were humble and you realized how much you needed him. However God got to you, he had been pursuing you and working in your life before you were ever aware of it. And by his grace, your eyes were opened. And now you are in an eternal relationship with God. And that is good news for all of us. For all of us. Now, come on, y'all. We clap at a lot of things. And when we talk about God's work and salvation, come on, we got to give God praise for that. That's some of our testimonies, that he was at work in our life before we were ever aware of it. That what you see in our lives is not the result of how amazing we are or religious or spiritual or whatever. It's simply because in God's mercy, he worked. And by his grace, we surrendered. And listen, likewise, God is working in people's lives right now throughout the D.C. metro area, and they're not even aware of it yet. And just like God led the Apostle Paul to Philippi, God has placed us here in the DMV so that we can merge into the work that God is already doing in their lives. Listen, have you ever thought about the possibility that this is why God connected you to this church? Not just so you can learn something from the sermons or because we got free kids programming or because we got good worship music. Have you ever thought about the possibility that God led you to connect to this church because he wants you to actually be a part of the mission he's given us to devote ourselves to reaching people with the gospel? To not just be consumers of ministry, but to be participants with God in his mission to reach people around us with the gospel. And we get the great privilege to name that work for people. To say to people that God is the one who's been at work and God is the one who's been stirring up your heart. And you don't have to guess because all roads don't lead to the same place. Let me tell you about the greatest news that I've heard that you can actually know who God is and you can have a relationship with this God for all of eternity. We get that great privilege. Have you ever thought about the possibility that this is why you live in your neighborhood or why you're on that team at work or why you're a student in that particular school? Because God is at work pursuing people around you right now. And we don't start that work in people's lives. We just get the privilege of joining in the work that God is already doing. God's pursuing people in ways that they may not even be aware of yet. And he's placed you there to help you realize it just like somebody helped you realize it. And maybe, listen, maybe that's why you're here today. 
Maybe that's why you're out at Prince William or you're watching online or wherever you're watching from. Maybe the reason is because God has been at work in your life in ways that you haven't even been aware of. That's how good he is. That's how gracious he is. And maybe it's not just coincidence that you clicked on a link or or got invited to a church service. Maybe it's actually God's intervention that he wants you to know that he's loved you so much for so long. That he's been working in your life all this time. Drawing you to himself and revealing himself to you. And maybe today is the day that you realize he had a divine appointment on his calendar for you to become a new creation, to experience this initial work of him beginning salvation in your heart. This is what he's done in our lives. Listen, God is working in your life even before you are aware of it. Here's the next thing I want you to see. God It's not just that God was working in your life. Listen, God is working in your life even when you can't see it. He's working in your life even when you can't see it. Verse 6 again, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And when you read that, just in the English translation, you you miss, you just think, well, he started it, he's going to finish it. But when you actually look at the verse, it's implied right here that that God is continuing that work. This is why the New Living Translation says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. I love the Amplified version. And it's amplified for a reason, as you'll see. Listen to what it says. It says, And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Paul says, it's not just that God was at work back then, but God is at work in you right now. And Paul sees evidence of that work in the lives of these Philippian believers. And he calls that out. And one of the things that struck me over the last couple of weeks in just meditating and studying this, I've studied this verse a gazillion times. But one of the things that struck me in a fresh way is what Paul models here where he says, I am sure of this, that God is continuing his work in you. And see, this is why we need to be an honest, authentic community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there are seasons of life where it's difficult for us to see how God is working. And we need some people around us who know God's word, are familiar with God's spirit and know us, and can look us in the eyes in difficult seasons and say, you might not be sure of it, but I am sure of this. I am sure that God is at work in your life. You may need to say that to your spouse. You may need to say it to your friends or your roommates or or family members or somebody in your church group. This is what it means to be in community, that we can speak life into each other and we can say, I know you don't see it. But on the authority of God's word and what I'm seeing in your life, I am sure of this, that God is at work. Let me point out some of the ways I see God working in you. Like we get to be that for each other. Because sometimes, y'all, it gets so difficult for us to see how God is working in our own life and what he's doing in us. And for some of us, that's just because of spiritual warfare. We, we, we don't know how to explain it in any other way. We just are deeply discouraged and, we, and it's just like everything God is doing, all of his goodness has been eclipsed. And we can't feel his goodness and we, we can't see outside of the darkness of what's, what's going on. We, we, there's no, it's not even that things in life are bad or it's just oftentimes it's spiritual warfare. It's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls spiritual depression. Where, where the enemy is just condemning you. The enemy is just lying to you and, and, and leading you to believe things that are not true about God. Some of us, it's just spiritual warfare, and we, so we can't see what God is doing in us. For some of us, we can't see what God is doing in us because of sin. Listen, every single time, if you embrace 
unrepentant sin in your life, you are desensitizing your heart to the goodness and the work of God in you. And for some of us, that's why. That's why it's hard for us to see what God has done in us. I need to give you a warning because some of us think spiritual growth operates like like standing on the moving walkway at the airport where you don't have to do anything. God saved you and you're going to heaven and everything in between uh, doesn't really matter. You don't have to work hard. you You don't have to do anything. But that's not how sanctification and spiritual growth works. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation. How? With fear and trembling. You've been saved, but you have to work that out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working and changing you from the inside out, but we have a responsibility to surrender to that work and to cooperate with the work that God wants to do in us. And sometimes that means we have to work hard to fight against sin and we have to feast on the goodness and the truth of God's word. So some of us, the reason why we can't see how God is working in us is because it's been clouded by sin in our lives. But for some of us, it's because of suffering. It's not because we've done anything wrong. It's because our circumstances have become so heavy and so painful and so uncertain. And the season of life has become so dark. We feel like we're in the bottom of a pit and we just cannot see any evidence that God is working, that God is even there. Some of us feel that in this season of life that we're in right now. And my wife and I went through a season just like that. One of the most difficult and dark seasons of our life. So I want to do something a little bit differently. There's no way I could tell this story accurately. You know how it goes when a husband tells a story and then a wife tells the truth. And so so I want to invite my wife out, uh, Ashley, out. And I want to ask her a little bit about this story. Can y'all give it up for Ashley? Thanks, man. Hi. Hello. That was called flirting, in case you didn't know. So... uh, this is my wife, uh, Ashley. She's been on staff here at the church for 17 years now. That's 17 right. years. Yeah. And there was a season where you weren't. We'll talk about that uh, a, a bit. But um, this verse, Philippians 1.6, has in many ways been a banner verse. It represents so much of what God has done in us and for us. And uh, I was mentioning that we went through a really, really dark season uh, back in 2016, and um, that really affected you, I think, personally um, in a really unique way. So why don't you share? Yeah, so in 2016, um, I was on staff. I was a worship leader out at our Montgomery County campus, and um, it was just a stressful season of life for us. We had two young children. We were both in vocational ministry. Um, There felt like a lot of demands. You were still in seminary at the time. And you were working a lot and traveling, and there was just a lot going on. And um, it just became very difficult, and um, we just struggled. I think we struggled as a couple, but then I really started struggling and just kind of feeling crushed by the demands of our life um, and feeling like, even as a worship leader, feeling a little bit fraudulent, like, how can I stand up here and sing these things and say these things, but... I'm not really sure if this, if I think this is true. Yeah. And I'll just say real quick, and she's being super gracious in the way she talks about it. Uh, a lot of what happened in that season was my fault. Because I was not aware. Well, I was somewhat aware because she helped me be aware. Um, <laughs> I was somewhat aware, uh, but I was not aware as I should have been of how crushed she was. And what was going on in my heart was just some discontentment, finding my identity in ministry. And, uh, and so I pursued every opportunity that seemed like God had, had opened to the neglect of her, to our family. Um, and, uh, and I just wasn't listening. 
which is super easy to do, especially when you're in ministry and you're doing God's work. It's super easy to be pursuing all these other things. And meanwhile, she was languishing and really, really struggling. And I did not really understand or I wasn't in a place where I was listening to how, how deep that, that struggle was. Um, and so uh, one day you came into my office um, and, uh, and you said, Mike, I, something I want to share with you. Yeah. So I came into his office and I will say, and we could have had this conversation at home, but for whatever reason, Factual. <laughs> I chose not to do it that way. Um, I came into his office one day and I was like, uh, I feel pretty sure like as of this morning that I need to step down from my job. And I just felt like it was just too much. And I wanted to try to provide some more stability like in our household and more of a sense of calm, you know, with the kids and everything like that. And so I came to him and I said, yeah, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to be your worship leader anymore, basically. Yeah. So the plan was we had two kids at the time. Yes. And you were going to stay home full time. And you had these dreams of what... <laughs> Yeah. What that would look like. and Yes, I had these dreams yeah. of like, I don't know what I thought I was going to be, like a step for a wife or something. I don't know. I thought it was just going to be like this, you know, magical place of refuge for everyone. And yeah, it just didn't quite pan out that way. Um, a couple months into it, I found out like, surprise, we're pregnant. So that wasn't, you know, in the plans. <laughs> but um, yeah, that just kind of took us, yeah, it was, it was an interesting road. It was a difficult pregnancy for me emotionally. Um, and then following the pregnancy a couple months into that, I developed postpartum depression and I knew what it was because I had experienced it with my second child, but with this third pregnancy, it was just much worse. It was very different. And, um, we just, I really hit some very dark and low places mm -hmm. during that season. That was by far the darkest season of our marriage. And when I say dark, I mean like dark. There were times where um, I just didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. I didn't know how to help her. I, didn't, I just had no idea uh, what to do. Um, and there was a particularly, there was a turning point and it was one of the probably darkest, scariest moments in that whole season. Um, why don't you share about that? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you've ever, if you can relate to this, if you've ever struggled with depression at all, but there just were times where I would feel just really out of control of my thoughts and my body. Like I knew what was true, but I just could not quite grasp it. Um, I would try to talk myself out of the feelings that I was feeling. And um, yeah, one night in particular, it was just it was, I don't know what else to say other than dark. And I felt so far from God. I felt like clearly you don't see me or maybe you're not even real. Like if you were and you don't see me, then you just don't care. And I don't know which is worse. And um, in those moments, I just, you know, I had stopped praying at that point. Like things were that bad that I just didn't even pray for help because I felt like God was not responding to me. And something happened though that night where I just, it was kind of like a last ditch effort and I just cried out to God. And, you know, I was like, Lord, this is it. Um, if you don't respond, if you don't answer me, if you don't come, I don't know what will happen. And I really, I was really feeling like this, I can't go on like this. Um, and in that moment, God really met me. And in a way that I really can't explain adequately, he, there was a sense of peace and it was like he was in the room with me. Um, and so, yeah, that was a pretty momentous <laughs> point. And you weren't like, this wasn't you like sitting calmly with your Bible open. Like no. you, you were on the bathroom floor. No, I was on the floor. Like I'm, I'm at the end. Like I have nothing else. Um, you got to help me. It was a, like a crowd, like rescue me please now. Um, and so, yeah, he did. He met me there. And all I can say is I just, I have never felt um, more sure of God's nearness, of the reality of God um, that I did in that moment up to that point. And, um, you know, through 
months and months after that, I started to come out of the depression through, you know, meeting with my doctor and mental health professionals and lifestyle changes, all those things. But um, that was definitely a key marker in my spiritual journey. Mm. We talked in Philippians 1.6 about sanctification and spiritual growth yeah. and God working in us to make us more like Jesus. And one of the things when we were talking about this that really struck me is you said this kind of changed it. It helped you understand sanctification a bit more. Uh, why don't you share that? Yeah, I just, well, that verse that you read in Philippians 1.6, I think up to that point, I had imagined that, you know, God's going to complete the work he began. I thought it looked a certain way. I thought sanctification was like, God rescues you, and then he, like, holds your hand, and you're, like, walking on up the stairway to heaven. Like, <laughs> like you know, like, it was just going to be an oh, easy ride. Again? How, was, how are you walking? <laughs> Whatever. Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> So anyway, and I, I did, I thought like, you know, you, you grow and you learn and you understand more about God and, you know, you're going to memorize the book of Isaiah, <laughs> you know, and that is not really um, how things turned out for me so far. Let me start with Jude or something. But I, but what I started to see was that even in that season, that was God completing the work that he began, like in a dark season. He was drawing me closer to him. Like out, out of that season, I had I seen God in a way that I had not seen him before. And so I was growing up into Christ. And I would never have thought previously that God would use something like that to complete the work that he began. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Yeah. There's, um, I'm gonna read this quote and then I'm gonna let you go. Uh, I know you're ready to go. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, he said this. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Amen. Amen. Some of you need to hear that. Can we thank uh, Ashley for sharing, sharing her story? Thanks, babe. Love you. Amen. I want to wrap this up. I just pointed out one other thing. And I just I wanted you to, to hear from us. Because of, like I said in the beginning, right, so often we project this image of who we think we should be rather than being honest about who we really are and what's really going on. And that's not just true for y'all sitting out there. That's true for us up here. And this promise that we see in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is something that we all need to cling to. We need to be reminded that God was working in our life before we were even aware of it and that God is working in our life even when we don't see it. But here's where our hope really is. And this is the last point I want to bring out before we wrap up. Listen, God will finish his work in your life even though you don't deserve it. Even though you don't deserve it. It's right here in chapter 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish the work. I talked about the hotel, and the problem is they estimate it'll take like another $2 billion to actually finish the hotel, and they just didn't have the resources to finish it. Listen, that is not true of God. God does not run out of resources. God does not run out of time. God's arm is not too short that he cannot finish the work that he started in you. In fact, let me just say it in a way that's probably not grammatically correct. God don't start stuff that he don't finish. And if he began a good work in you, God has taken full responsibility for your life. Yeah. 
because you are in Christ. And he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And he's promised that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he's promised that he's given you his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that he has for you. And it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, being kept in heaven for you through your faith by the power of God. God, if he started that work, he will be the one to bring it to completion. We know this as John says, 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. He says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, man, I can't wait for this day. And when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. We see in part. But on that day, we will see in full. Faith will become sight. I think about my brother, Levon, who passed away this week. One of our pastors here at the Tyson's location. And as I was reflecting on this verse just backstage this morning, I just couldn't help but think about what he's experiencing right now, seeing God as he is. And can I promise you something? When you face God in that moment, if you are in Christ, you will not face him as your judge because God, God's sacrifice in Jesus, the blood of Jesus, covers over all of your sin. You won't face him as judge. You will face him as Savior, as Heavenly Father, as the lover of your soul. And let me promise you something. God says those who trust in him will never be put to shame. So here's what's going to happen in that moment. In that moment, you will realize that every desire and longing you've ever had is now perfectly fulfilled in him. You will realize that every prayer that has ever gone unanswered, it's not that God was absent. But in that moment, every single prayer will be answered perfectly in ways that you couldn't articulate or interpret or experience. You will realize that every one of the threads in your life that seemed like it was loose and dangling and made no sense, in that moment when you stand in the presence of God, you will recognize that every single one of those threads was being perfectly worked together for your good. There is a moment of clarity coming for every single one of us where we will see God face to face and we will look back over the arc of our life and we will be able to say with no hesitation and no confusion that he is all wise and all powerful and he has been the one at work the whole time. That's what we look forward to. And it's not just for our souls. This is where we'll land, Philippians 3, verse 20. That our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who will transform our lowly body, our lowly body that's racked with cancer, our lowly body that's racked with pain, our lowly body that we feel so insecure about. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is a day coming where the work will be finished. And as we long for that day, it fills us with the hope and the motivation that we need to live in the work that God is doing in us today. And so listen, there are some of you, you, all of us need to respond to God's word in some way. There are some of you, you need to respond by just confessing to him like Ashley did on a bathroom floor. She had a young woman, we shared the same message at our Montgomery County location a couple weeks ago, and she had a young woman come up to her afterwards, and I just saw her from a distance, and the woman, like, it's like she couldn't even hold up her weight. She was weeping so bad, and Ashley was just holding her, and she walked up to Ashley, and she says, that was me on my bathroom floor on Thursday night. And there are some of you that just need to confess to God and cry out to Him, and it may not be postpartum depression, but it may be confusing about your life or physical pain or whatever. And you can't see how God is working, and you just need to confess that to him and cry out and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief, increase my faith, help me to see you, help me to feel you again. And God, would you carry me in the meantime? And there are some of you, you need to respond to God in humility and surrender because you've been taking the grace of God for granted. You've been playing games with God. 
and presuming on His grace. And there are areas of conviction in your life and sin that you've been cultivating and embracing and you know what God wants you to do. You may not know the 10th step, but you know the first step and you've not taken it. And you need to respond in humility and surrender before God and say, God, I want to cooperate with the work that you are doing in me. I don't want to quench it. I don't want to resist it. God, I'm inviting you to do that work as I take these steps of faith and repentance and trust in you. And there are some of you today here, wherever you're watching from, and you need to invite God to do that first initial work. You need to say, God, I want you to begin that work in me, that work of salvation and forgiveness. Just to confess to him that you're a sinner who deserves his judgment and you don't deserve anything good. And yet God has loved you so much all of your life. But he sent Jesus to die in your place and he rose from the grave and he sent the gospel for you to hear and understand. And maybe today is that day where God has been drawing your heart. And he begins that work and you put your trust in what Jesus has done. Every single one of us needs to respond to the goodness of God's promise. I want to pray that God would help us, that God would strengthen us, that God would draw us and lead us to take the steps that he's inviting us to take. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your work. God, we thank you because your work does not originate with us. It does not depend on us. But you are the sovereign one. You are good, not because we're good, but because that's just who you are. And you set salvation in motion on our behalf by sending Jesus to do what we could not do, what we refused to do. We can't live up to your perfectly righteous standards. To be honest, God, apart from your work in our hearts, we don't even want to. But God, thank you that you sent Jesus and you draw our hearts by your grace. And God, I pray for any person who needs to take that initial step of just repenting and putting their trust in you. God, I pray as they cry out to you that you would save them. And God, for the person that is saved and is in a relationship with you and has grown complacent and presumed on your grace, I pray, God, I pray that you would put the fire under them, God, that they would have a sense that they are in a dangerous place and that they would surrender to your work of sanctification and that they would turn from their sin and obey you and enjoy the abundance of life that you have for them. And God, I pray for that person who is in the pit. I thank you that you would draw us out of the pit and you place our feet on solid ground. I pray you would do that for them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would meet them where they are and you would carry them and strengthen them and renew their hope. I pray, Father, that the work you started, that you would continue that work and bring it to completion one day when we see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.